set yourself up to give your wife, your future wife, the greatest gift you can give her. And that is your virginity, man. I just would, I just wish I could go back and do that again. Virginity is a balls issue. You don't have any balls. So you've got to feel like you have sex with girls. If you had balls, I hate to use that phrase, but I'm talking to boys here. For sure. You would have the balls to say no to the majority of people out there who are wrong. Our guest is Jim Ramos. For many of you, you know who this is. He is the founder of the movement called Men in the Arena. He's a best-selling author. He's a speaker. Uh, he runs a nonprofit Christian ministry focused on equipping men to honor God in the leadership of their families, church, and community. He hosts the number one ranked Spotify podcast for Christian men, the Men in the Arena podcast, where he interviews experts in Christian manhood, partnering uh, with thought leaders like John Eldridge, Gary Chapman, just some of the powerhouses in that space. Uh, he's written numerous books, uh, including the number one Amazon bestseller, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Um, he's written several others. And so I, I really wanted to get Jim on. I've listened to his podcast. I really respect the work he's doing, his perspective, the way he speaks truth in love, but truth in your face and is unapologetic about it. And he is just very uh, fearlessly pursuing, equipping and building strong men uh, to lead their families. So I want to welcome to the stage Jim Ramos to Last in Line Podcast. Man, it has been in the making for a couple of weeks and there have been some obstacles, but Jim Ramos, man, welcome to Last in Line Podcast. Hey, I appreciate you being patient, man, with all the scheduling issues and we're excited to be on the show today. We know that the enemy wants us to not be here, but we're going to rock and roll, baby. Absolutely, man. We're pressing through and uh, you had some Wi-Fi issues last time and I'm a little jealous because of the place you just got uh, out in the middle of a remote area and I'm kind of uh, cool hearing about that story. But man, you've been in ministry for, I guess, 20 years, if I'm right, maybe a little more and written numerous books. Um, in fact, I think Men in the Arena, if I'm doing my research right, is is in its 10th year i guess of being founded so it's kind of the anniversary. i have to yeah work in that oh dorky, i love that yeah that's it's kind awesome. of a dor dorky that's how nerdy i am but no i was thinking of that and it's like a 10-year deal so congrats on that man hey i appreciate it and we're, i'm gonna steal that from you because uh, we're having man. our 10th anniversary celebration on april 9th so i'm gonna have to weave please that do. in and actually so i was in youth ministry a full-time youth pastor and campus life director from for 22 years and then wow. we've done uh men in the arena for 10 and there was a two-year overlap there so i've been in ministry since 1990 full-time crazy crazy well that folds in perfectly to our series you know uh new lens for next gen so we're we're going right at this team dynamic with guys and men how we can help them see the world maybe a little differently through a godly, manly, masculine lens uh -huh. that the world really doesn't want them to see through. And, and uh, you've got a perfect uh, resume to talk about that. Written nine books, I guess, and, and maybe 
working on a 10th. Have you written nine? It, yeah, it shows I, on you the- know, what? I, I think it's I, I, so two of the books we aren't selling anymore because we've Got done it. them. So it's 11 and we just had a brand new book came out this week called Guts and Manhood, The Four Irrefutable Attributes of Courage. Wow. And so and that wow. came out of a devotion, my devotional life. And I That's discovered awesome. something about courage in the Bible that I never knew was there. And, and actually, I've never heard it taught or spoken about. And so I, I wrote a book about perfect, it. a short perfect. little yeah. book, 40,000 words. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll get in. Yeah, we're going to give them the, the link to go get that, too. And I was intrigued by um, the one you wrote. I get was it last year that it released? The yes, Strong Men, Dangerous last March. Times? Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess give us a little background on what caused, what, what made you write that? Obviously we were in, we're in the times we're in. So I'm sure that was some inspiration. Yeah. The funny part is I actually wrote that book in 18 under the the title man card, the man card. Mm, Yeah. So, Hey, here's the man card. We wrote, I literally wrote the book on the man card and then we got a couple (laughs) years into it and I realized I don't like the title. Uh, it doesn't, uh, say enough or address the times. I didn't feel like it was timeless. So I actually rewrote the book. I added about 10,000 words. I added a uh, devotional stuff in the back. So dads and their teenagers can go through them. And uh, just so there's a, there's a, you know, short little Bible studies at at the end of each chapter. And I really wanted a title that would really speak to where we are now. So I went with, you know, strong men, dangerous times, the five essentials every man must possess to change his world. Because really, you know, we need a world that needs changing. We, we live in a world that has vilified men, which honestly, um, for sure, somewhat okay, justified men right? have earned that, you know, yeah. we are, we are probably about 80% of the world's problems are because of men. But right. if we're going to make that claim that men are the cause of the problem, we have to log- logically agree then that if we fix the men, we fix 90% of the world's problems. So, so I thought, okay, I do see this. And actually, uh, as a youth pastor, I remember sitting in a coffee shop reflecting on my life. I was 44 years old at the time. So this is 12 years ago. And I thought, I was thinking, okay, as a youth pastor, what is the biggest problem I have seen after, at that time, 20 20 years of youth ministry? Mm -hmm. And I came to this conclusion, the number one problem with students that came in my ministry on a weekly basis over the course of two decades was their dad, their dad. It was dad not being engaged, dad being uh, physically present, but not, uh, not yep. present uh, emotionally, uh, you know, dads, abusive dads, dad, negligent yeah. dads over and over again, dads, dads, or even Christian dads who are no shows, you know, anonymous. For Christian sure. dads. And I realized I need to do something to help men be better so that their kids aren't jacked up because I believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. So we be launched that ministry with 15 guys in a coffee shop in 2011 and then went full-time in 2012, which is when we officially measure our anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's great. Cause I was interested to know kind of where that was born out of, but what a perfect because because I see a lot of men's movements right throughout the yeah. country right now. There's there's tribes, there's councils, there's <clears throat> just all these, and I love it because I feel like this wave is starting to kind of rear its head throughout the country, coast to coast, uh, hopefully the world. But you know, I know you've got some presence worldwide as well. Um, so if you 
to, to steal your quote, when a man gets it, everyone wins. W- was there a time or a season where like a pivotal moment where you just, you got it as a man? Like, cause you, <laughs> I would assume you didn't come out of the womb just perfect on every account as, as it relates to masculinity and our role as a godly man. I would assume you had to learn that and maybe there was a pivotal moment. Talk about that. Oh man, there is a big time magnum moment. Yeah. So uh, when I got married, I was 26 years old. I married a 22 year old gal. Uh, we joke that you were coming on 30 years of marriage on August 1st of this year. So she is the love of my life, wow. but we joke together. We'll speak at conferences, different things. And we joke that I say, when I, I woke, I married an angel and I woke up with Satan and oh, she goodness. will say that she married her dream guy and woke up in a nightmare. Now, let me tell you this. We were both devoted, radical, surrendered followers of Jesus. Mm. I was a youth pastor. I was a camp, full-time campus life director, actually. Uh, she was a cheerleader coach. I was a football coach. She was one of my volunteers. I mean, we were the, we were the quintessential Christian couple, right? Mm-hmm. Both of us were from non-Christian homes, so we did not have a lot of Christian mentoring at all. So we're trying to figure this out on our own. We were both probably combined. We had uh, four years of following Jesus, so we we're pretty new yeah. Christians, and we had no idea. You know, I thought, okay, when I gave my life to Jesus, I broke up with my girlfriends. Yeah, you heard that right. And I, I, for three years, I prayed for Shanna, which is my wife. And I, I did not touch another girl, did not kiss another girl. My wife and I uh, never had sex before marriage. Uh, we struggled with that because we we're deeply in love, right? So sure, we sure. struggled with that, but we never had sex before marriage. So the day we got married, like the next day after I thought, hey, you know, our wedding night, we had, you know, the shortest it's all, it's all session there. of sex you could ever imagine. I was like, I waited three years for this. Understandably. But I thought, thought, yeah, I thought, well, here's part of the reason why, because I thought sex was about me getting mine. Sure, sure. Right. And I thought, okay, now I married this Christian girl. So now I'm going to have my meals cooked, bed made, all this stuff. And so it was really fun because we never had, uh, we never had marriage counseling premarital. So we had no idea what going in, what was going on. We were totally clueless. Mm -hmm. I realized she wasn't going to give me sex on demand. She wasn't even a cook. I've been cooking for her for 30 years. I'm her cook. I mean, for 30 years, because I love to cook. I was a professional cook when I was a high school, college guy. Uh, she, uh, I couldn't sleep uh, with a pillow she put on the bed. I couldn't use the towels she hung in the bathroom. They're all decorative. So we really struggled. So mm. in ni- that was in 92. In fact, I'm going to confess something, which I've, I've, I'm public about this and pretty open. I actually prayed and asked God to take her out like Take her out, God, car wreck, murder, cancer. I don't know, but I don't want to lose my ministry. There's a man with an, there's a male speaking right now, but God, I hate this woman and I won't divorce her because I'm committed to not getting divorced, but I need her gone. I need to get out of this thing. So it was really bad. And I was in a dark, dark place. And I was, uh, as you could tell, I was uh, 28 at this point, I'm 28 years old now, married two years. I'm a male, but I'm not a man. I'm a boy. Yeah. That's good. I'm a boy. I'm a, I'm not a man. And uh, I'm uh, now at this point, I'm at a church working and the church was going to an event in LA Coliseum called promise keepers. Yeah. So we go to this event. There's probably 70,000 guys there and it's hot and uh, you know, great. Some of the, some world-class speakers, right? Well, this one guy comes out and I'd never heard his name before. And he's wearing a robe, like one of those uh, Presbyterian robes mm-hmm. and he's a black dude. 
and he's screaming the whole time. You got to out love, you got to out serve your wife. And mm. I'm sitting there going, man, I don't know what this guy's doing, but he, he's just saying the same thing over and over again. He's wearing this robe. He just doesn't fit the audience. I'm like, this is, this had nothing to do with his color. I'm just saying he's black. Cause I like to tell sure, stories sure. and I like to describe things. Yeah. And so uh, about a half hour into his screaming alone in the midst of 70,000 men, the Holy spirit spoke to me. And it was the day I became a man. Wow. And do you know what God said to me? <laughs> you got to out love and out serve your wife. So yeah. I went he back said, home. Listen to the guy with the robe. <laughs> the guy with the robe. The yeah. guy with the robe. I wish I could meet him and shake his hand. I think his last name was Wellington or something. Okay. I said, uh, you know what? I went to church that Sunday night and we had a sharing time. And I pointed at her with angry eyes in front of the church. I said, I'm going to out love and out serve you. And I did. I began to make her coffee every morning. I began to uh, focus on cleaning up after myself around the house. I began to cook more uh, uh, routinely for her. I, I began to outlove her and outserve her. And it, it honestly, it changed our marriage because my little devil lady who I'd married began to become an angel again. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it changed everything. So I tell people, Sometime in 1995 at a Promise Keepers event, I became a man. And, and, and don't get me wrong, our personalities, we struggle, we fight, we do our thing. Right, right. But that was really, I would say, a pivot moment, a pivotal moment yeah. for our marriage. Yeah, I, you know, and and by the way, that's scriptural. I mean, it talks about outdoing one another with honor, and uh, so that's a healthy competition in a marriage. You know, if we've got everybody trying to outserve each other, that might not be a bad thing. Um, yeah. Man, so as we talk about these teens, I mean, you you made it through your teen years, um, and you said you didn't come from a Christian home, but obviously, as teens, we all experiment, we all struggle, we all maybe don't quite get it. We're seeing through a certain lens that's all about yeah. us, and yep. then we start graduating into this manhood, quote unquote. You know, you can be forty living in mom's basement and not be one, but absolutely. Still, um, we, we try to transition into manhood. And, and so you're, you're working with guys who have probably been down that road, similar to you and I, maybe they've had a father wound. Maybe they just were all over the map spiritually as their teenage years. So for the teens you see now, I mean, we could go into a, a thousand statistics about, you know, one out of every four kids is raised by a single mom, or we could talk about how 90% of kids who, commit suicide teens have a mental illness you know there's a lot of factors in all these yeah. statistics what what have you seen kind of as a common theme that guys you work with now that they missed out on as teenagers with their dad maybe well i'll, I'll tell you this i i hope i'm going to answer this question if not you can ask it again right so i was a youth pastor for 22 years Mm -hmm. And I noticed something really interesting about my male students that really got it like these guys they got it. They become devoted to Jesus. They live the life of biblical obedience. I mean, these guys got it. Yeah. And I started looking around. I go, well, it's not the homeschool kids. It's not the private school kids. It's not the public school kids. That's not, it, it was too random. I go, that's not that. It's not the kids raised by strong Christian families. It's not the kids who are from single moms. I'm like, what is it? What separates these guys that really get it spiritually from the ones that don't? And I realized that even though uh, guys with a strong dad in the home, it was really a huge monumental asset for that young man. 
what I realized, it was so interesting. I realized that the guys in my youth groups over the years that really thrived Mm -hmm. came from so many diverse backgrounds and education styles. I found the thing that separated them out, the great ones from the bad ones, was they were systematically plugged in to a Christian group of guys they could imitate, whether that's Mm. their youth leader, whether that those are their buddies. It was mainly their buddies. When these guys got godly buddies around them, it changed everything, right? And because I had a lot of guys from godly homes with great dads that were horrible teenagers. And I thought, well, what's the difference then? I realized it was their friend group, the guys that they hung out with. And so if I could go back and tell these young guys anything, I'd say, listen, if you want to fly like an eagle, stop hanging out with the turkeys. Mm. If you want to be a man of purity, stop hanging out with the turds. I mean, it's really that simple. Find a great group of guys and and get a hold of those guys. You know, JFK used to say a rising tide causes all ships to to lift. Mm. And that's what we're talking about. So and the, the boys that had dads in the home were at extreme advantage over the other ones because they didn't have to relearn what it meant to be a godly man. Yeah. yeah. They had that already and their peer group reinforced it. So that yeah. that's a massive thing for the young guys to know, Hey, you need to, and parents as well, get your kids plugged into a peer group of solid dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And the dad, you know, I mean, it, it, it goes hand in hand with the whole coaching philosophy of I can tell my son the same exact thing. And some other coach says that to him and he gets it more than he gets it from me. So it's awesome as a foundation to have a dad at home. That's a godly man. Who's an example. But like you said, sometimes kids in order for it to resonate and really develop within them, they've got to be around other dudes like them and hear it from a different voice. So, you know, the current state we're in with teenagers, I I know we, we, we as kind of the old get off my lawn guy like to point at the generation behind us and go, man, we're in trouble or, Oh no. Or what are we going to do? Or this is who I'm going to be depending on to take care. I don't think, I mean, I hope it's not as bad as those folks make it sound, but give us an assessment as to where we stand. If you were going to grade it, or if we were going to kind of land on some state of our teens right now. Yeah. I, let me add one thing. I forgot to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. A, a dad who's engaged in, with his kids, teenage boys, mm-hmm. if that dad manipulates the situation, like a dad can manipulate the pe- parent group, the, the mm-hmm. peer group, a dad can make sure that certain kids interact with his kids and you through yeah. sports, through youth group, and usually it's the dad volunteering, the dad coaching the kids' teams, the dad yeah. involved in the youth group. Those dads seem to produce like 100 percenters, like it's guaranteed those kids are going to be all right. So the state of our teenagers today. So here's what I would say about that. I have noticed that every generation um, kind of disrespects the generation under them. So my generation is I'm in what you would call the Gen X or the Buster generation. Man, we just love bad mouthing the millennials, man, a 38 year old, 40 year old guy down to about 25. You're soft, you're weak, you're this and that. And here's what I keep telling people. The generation that's responsible for the generation underneath them is the generation above them that raised them. So my generation is where helicopter moms and bulldozer dads and participation trophies. We invented that stuff. Sure. So we put that on our kids. So why are 
let's say my millennial children, why do they, well, mine don't feel this way. Cause I never let uh, trust <laughs> right. you know, burn those participation trophies, get a yes. job. And so, yes. you know, but this entitlement mindset comes from soft parenting where parents are too, they're bulldozing down their kids' problems. They're hovering over their kids like a helicopter. They're handing out participation trophies like their kid actually earned it. And if you look at our generation, you even see it today. Oh, I went to a Spartan race and got a, I got a, I got a prize. You got a participation trophy. Yeah. I went to a warrior dash and got a, a, tro- a medal. Those are all participation trophies. So we're doing that. So yeah. that being said, wow. I think this generation's in a great spot. And here's what I think. The millennial, for me, talking about the millennials and the Gen Zers, right? Right. So those two generations, you know, they're 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 saying, hey, you know what? Work isn't the most important thing. I, I laugh about the baby moon and the quarter life crisis. You know that the quarter life crisis comes when dad takes away the cell phone. But you know, I think I laugh at these things. But the millennials have really got this understanding that relationships are more important than career. Yeah. And I really appreciate which we didn't get. We didn't get no, that. We did not get that. So how old are you? I'll be 50 this year. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I appreciate that our generation passed that on to the younger generations. Take your vacation every year. Spend time on a great honeymoon. You know, your your job is not your identity. We've done a great job with that younger generation, but what we've done a poor job at is we've made life too easy for them. Sure, for sure. And so what we need to do is if there's anything I would say about the younger generation is they are on the soft and entitled side because their parents said stuff like this. And I th- hate this statement. My kid's job is to get good grades. That's his job. I'm paying. So I'm going to give him a $50,000 car and his job is to get good grades. I'm like, no, that's not his job. He's mandated to do that. His job is to do chores around the house. His yeah. job is to get a job to pay for his toys. I mean, so, so we have yeah. this weird mentality. It's very, uh, it creates an entitled generation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, like I agree. I, I, yeah. I, I want to, yeah, I was going to interject there just cause I feel like I land right in the middle, like of that, that parent, I, you know, I, not the participation trophy guy. We're always like, there's winners and losers period. Uh, and totally. then, and then I'm also the man is my, is part of my job to, be their buffer. And I think I bought that lie sometimes that I was trying to let's, let's avoid at all costs, the scrape knee, right? Let's not let them ride the bike out in the street or whatever, yeah. you know, extreme, but I, where's the line on protecting or pampering? Cause I think somebody needs to write, write a book about that. If there hadn't already been one, I've got a book I want to write called the soft male, uh, which would go. deal with that whole thing. I think we've, we, especially if you have boys, Boys are made by God to withstand withstand pressure. They're supposed to carry this mantle of manhood. They're supposed to take great risks. I mean, almost all adventurers in the history of the world were men. Even today, it's, it has, doesn't change because that's what God has wired into men. And, and moms who really understand boys and dads who really understand that, they let their kids, they let their kids break stuff. You know, my kids have all broken bones. My kids never had a stitch though. And the reason why I was like, heck no, get over here. I've got duct tape and super glue. And instead of paying some doctor, to, we're just going to take care of it. So my kids always joke, they never got stitches. Well, they've nice. got a lot of cuts. I just wouldn't let them go. And so I think yeah. uh, letting our kids, I think God interacts with us like that, right? He says, I'm going to give you the choice in my great love for you. I'm going to let you uh, choose this thing. 
Yeah. And then when we blow it, he comes alongside of us and he says, Hey, you know, you're an idiot. I love right. you. And I think that's what we should do as parents. We need to, and here's the bigger thing that I think uh, is a problem for parents today is when your kid fails, like he fails, he, he gets caught doing something wrong. Right. He gets a bad grade. Your job as a parent is to help him own the responsibility of that. It's to help him to realize that we reap what we sow. Your job is not to go yell at the English teacher. Your job is not right. to, to, to bull down his problem, bulldoze his problems. Your job as a parent is to let him help him to accept responsibility so that he'll learn from that. Instead of bulldozing things down, he'll never learn from that. Yeah. You get a bad grade. The last thing a parent should do is go yell at the teacher. For Maybe sure. talk should, to the teacher, but not yeah. yell. You know, it's the kid's fault. That's a training exercise for the parent right there. It's who are you going to yeah. train, the kid or the teacher? Like that's not going to help anybody to go upstream. You need to deal with right in front of you because if we're training them, that doesn't train them for life, right? What are you going to do when they're a grown up and they have a family and a boss does something? You're going to go yell at the. You know, we got to we got to train in that moment. I- Hey, do yourself a favor when you get done listening to this episode and go check out my sponsors on their websites. Those links will be in the show notes, but I want to thank the following for supporting Last in Line podcast. I want to thank Armored Nation Coffee. I want to thank the folks at Do Work That Matters. Uh, I want to thank Kevin Fulton over at Lead Like Lions. Thank you to Gridiron Coffee. And thank you to Cowboy Revolution Apparel. Those are just a few and we're adding to the list, but these are ones who have started with us at Ground Zero and are sticking with us uh, till the end, hopefully. So go check out their website, get some of their products. Now back to the show. Yeah, but go ahead. Well, you you said upstream just now and... uh, that is a that word is a massive word with tons of meaning. Sure. And when I heard that word, I just stopped in my tracks because only dead things drift downstream. Wow, right? That's good. Things yeah. that go upstream are alive and they're strong because they're having to go against the current. For sure. And one of the things I've told my boys, and they're I've got a 26-year-old that just bought a second house. My 28-year-old just bought his first house. I mean, these guys, you know, my my Youngest son was that all had more consecutive starts uh, during his college football career than any football player in the 150 year history of the school. And the school has the longest winning wow. streak of any school in all of college football at 65 years winning streaks. Wow. So I've got some great sons, but one of the things that I've told them and trained into them is the hard way is the right way. And you will always be surrounded because the majority mm-hmm. is usually wrong. And as a Christian, sure. we have to realize that we're in the, maybe, maybe if we live in Texas, maybe 12% of people are real Christians in Oregon. It's like eight. And so I just interviewed a guy in India. It's 0.05. It's not even yeah. a percent. And so we need to realize you're supposed to be surrounded. So if you're going to win this battle and push back the darkness, Hey buddy, you better be strong. That's for sure. And I'm, I love that you brought up duct tape because I was about to say when you said <laughs> when you said guys are more rugged and meant to be tested a little more. Like we're the duct tape, the girls are the scotch tape. Like you use yeah. duct tape in situations you wouldn't use scotch tape. And so we we definitely do. And I love that you used Scott, uh, 
duct tape as a in in the as a medical uh so patching funny. kids up that's great uh well i would say that men are the therm the, the stanley thermos mug and women are the coffee the teacup you know they do yeah, the same sure. things they just do them a little different for sure for sure man um <laughs> yeah and it's funny because being that we're kind of the same generation uh it's funny it, we're i've become the back in my day guy like every every sentence starts with that and i like you said earlier every generation probably has done that like our kids yeah are going yeah. to tell their kids back in my day, we only had one cell phone, you know, or something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, we had so, to actually type in the keys. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, <clears throat> so we talked about, you know, the, the father and, and I used the word wound, but just the father dynamic, you know, good, bad, or indifferent that affects those formative years of adolescence. Right. And, and, and I think that that disconnect that's going on today, um, with some of our men who are not getting it, which, you know, as you're doing your work and people are doing that all over the country, like there's a reason there reason there's a need for you, right? If we were all doing this right, we wouldn't need men in the arena. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't need, so we need people like you because there is a disconnect. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a reflection of our teenage years. I think I still remember the weirdest things from my teenage years, right? Some of the pain, some of the embarrassment, some of the rejection, like who doesn't still remember that? So I can't yeah, help but sure. think 30 years later, like, why am I remembering that? That's pretty pivotal. Uh, I mean, I guess the question, and I didn't really have a question planned, but other than, <laughs> you know, do you have, did you talk about your teenage years? Like it was different. We get it. It was light years from what teens are going through now, but what would you, what advice would you have given yourself other than get around really good guys that are Christian dudes? I mean, yeah. anything else you would have done different? It's funny. I just, uh, I've got a series of reels on Instagram, Instagram coming out called if I could tell my 25 year old self anything. Right. But I probably, my 25 year old self was a brand new believer. He was, a, that guy was awesome. Uh, yeah. He's a male, but he loved Jesus. But I wish I could tell my 15 year old self some things, but I will say, you know, I think the father wound is um, a thing that is real. But if you think about that phrase, that phrase has only been around since Eldridge wrote Wild at Heart. Sure. And, the, uh, you know, so talking about 2001, that phrase is a very victim mindset just in its own phrase. For sure. I'm wounded. You're the one who did it. And every guy has this wound that their dad inflicted. I'm like, really? I mean, it's kind of a yeah, pass. It's, isn't it's, 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 it's a very victim entitled mentality. It's, it's basically... Um, I hope I don't get in trouble here. It's critical race theory type of stuff, which is basically you need to pay me back. Sure. I, you, I deserve something because of this. Instead of just going, hey, life sucks. Uh, people do crappy things and we need to work through those things. I have some real painful moments in my life. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a great dad. Uh, I'm close to him today. I, I talk to him all the time uh, for my 13th birthday. Do you remember what you got for your 13th birthday? Not at all. I, I remember mine distinctly. I got the, it's not your fault that mom and dad are getting divorced talk on my 13th birthday. My brother and sister and I got sat down. So my parents got divorced on my 13th birthday. So, uh, so I don't remember what I got for an actual present. I probably got two <laughs> now that yeah. my parents are divorced. And my dad, um, my dad had some sexual problems that led to the divorce. And so, uh, yeah. And so, but then the funny thing is about three, my mom remarried. And by my senior year of high school, I laugh at this story. This guy would have been thrown in jail for this. But I had a really cool stepdad. I mean, he was super cool. 
that he was known in our peer group as the cool stepdad. My kids okay. would go to the house and hang out at my house when they were drunk before they went home to their parents because yeah. my parents would never say anything. I remember when I was a senior in high school, my stepdad came home with a round table pizza and a porn video. And he goes, hey, man, you want to watch pizza, have pizza and watch porn? I'm like, hell yeah. I never wow. watched porn before. I thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, I celebrated that, man. Back before Christ, I celebrated porn. You know, well, we, yeah, we didn't have the access that they have nowadays. But I celebrated, you know, every girl I was able to touch, you know, first base, second sure. base, third base. Sure. So if I could go back and tell a guy anything, I just made a series of reels on this. I would say, first of all, to young guys, life is way more serious than you think when you're in teen year, the teen years, the things I celebrated from 14 to 24, I am now ashamed of the things I sought and pursued as a young man are the baggage that those are the baggage things I struggle with. Now, if I would have lived a sexually pure life, if I would have been a virgin, when I got married, I would not struggle with lust at the level that I yeah. probably do now. I mean, you right. see what I'm saying? So For we sure. all, you know, the drinking, the partying, the chewing tobacco, all of these things that we did when we were young, but when we're 14, we struggle with that 40. And so I would tell these guys, that's a big, big problem. Um, you know, it's really yeah. funny, man. I've never met a man who's a Christian man who said, man, I am so glad I got to screw so many girls. Every guy I've ever met who's a Christian man says, I wish I would have waited to have sex until marriage. Right. Every guy I've ever met, right. every single one of them says that. And I think if I could tell these young guys, I would say, listen, four on the floor, four on the floor. If you've got a girlfriend, four feet on the floor, and then don't unbutton, unbuckle, unsnap, undo, untie, on anything, yeah, anything above, above clothing. <laughs> you know, I would just tell these guys, you know, set yourself up to, Give your wife, your future wife, the greatest gift you can give her. And that is your virginity, man. I just would, I just wish I could go back and do that again and have that's, the guts. Yeah. yeah that's awesome, man. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, virginity is a balls issue. You don't have any balls. So you've got to feel like you have sex with girls. If you had balls, I hate to use that phrase, but I'm talking to boys here. For sure. You would have the balls to say no to the majority of people out there who are wrong. Right. You're the leader of that relationship anyway. Like you should be the one standing up and going, we're not doing this. Like even though our flesh has a way louder decibel, right. Than our spirit sometimes. And and in those moments, that's why you can't put yourself in those situations. And I know we didn't plan on talking about, but I think it's relevant because this could almost be maybe the root cause of some of the darkness that we see in our teenagers is the lust, the immorality, immorality the no example like you talked about your stepdad brought that to you like how many yeah. kids are out there that it, they have free reign to just come in and, and and watch porn or whatever and drink with the parents or whatever so i think uh we want to be friends with our kids too much um which is a huge di- a huge deal um the guys you work with so you're like i said you've grown this thing to thousands tens of yeah. thousands yeah. of people men in the arena like praise god yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Like, and, and it's only 10 years, right? The, it, the sky's the limit with you guys. And what has made you unique? Would you say, I mean, like I said, there's a bunch of that going on, right? There's a lot of these groups. Um, it's consistency, I would say. So I'm not going to let you cheat on and use that word, but I know consistency is going to come out of your mouth. What, no, what is unique about you guys, man? 
I would say um, there's three things, um, and I hope I can remember them all because I'm 56. Uh, one of my board members told me this this morning. He said, I'm just amazed at the humility of you and this organization. And by humility, we're willing to say, hey, here's my baggage. Right. And we're willing to say, hey, I don't have an, at all figured out. That's why when you asked me to come on your show, I'm like, you're not a big organization like me. You're starting to get going. I go, here's a guy who's asking for a guy to come and help him. And I'm going to help those guys who are starting because I was there asking for help. And I think yeah. it's so important to ask for help. And that's an act of humility. So that right there puts you ahead of the game. I would say the other thing is, and this is going to sound really weird, but we are blatantly uh, kingdom oriented. We are blatantly, passionately, vocally Jesus people. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of guys out there doing what I'm doing. I just had a guy on my podcast the other day who's a Christian guy, but he does not have a Christian ministry thing. He's got a for-profit thing. And I think for me, we want to be kingdom oriented. We want to partner with a diverse group of kingdom oriented dudes from all around the country and put them on display. We want to say, God, we're going to put them on display for you. And we're going to trust that you're going to put us on display. And God has been so faithful, so yeah. faithful to that. And I think the last thing is this, um, and this is going to sound weird, but you're from Texas. There's a saying out there that says, don't beat a dead horse. For sure. And I, I got to tell you, I disagree with that statement. It's a, it's a statement that a non-Christian would say. I would say, you beat that damn horse till God resurrects it. I mean, you beat that damn horse. Beat that horse <laughs> because God can resurrect. And so, you know, when we launched our ministry, we went into about three months in, we went into foreclosure on our house. We had no startup money. I'm, I'm a, I was a youth pastor, so we're not going to get rich. For sure. Um, it, you know, in the least church place in the in the country and, and uh, you know, working with targeting a group of people that nobody targets actually vilifies in the church even. And so um, there were many, many times that, that we were at the at death's door, so to speak. Right. And I was like, yo, hey, we're going to ride this thing into the grave. And if God doesn't, we're going to stay in that grave and we're going to wait for the resurrection. And so I think for us, and, and the first church really exploded because I'm reading a book called Church History in Plain Language. And the one thing that separated Christians from any other religion at that time was their extreme stubbornness. Mm -hmm. And I, I would just Makes say, and I, and I think it goes back to the darkness with young guys, teenage boys is not sex or lust. It's the darkness of being a coward who's unwilling to be stubborn and convict with conviction. We're so soft. We're willing to bend and comply and compromise. And when it comes to following Jesus, hey, you know what? I'm a paratrooper. I'm dropped in the middle of the enemy and I'm fighting my way out. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I see Bastogne down the road and I'm going in there balls the wall because yeah. I know that the Germans are coming and it's freezing, but I'm going to get it done because I'm fighting for the truth. And so yeah. I think for us, that's been the thing that's um, really been yeah. different than other organizations. We refuse to say no. Well, that's yeah. And I like that. And that's one of the things that drew me to listening to you guys and sort of researching and digging in a little bit. And it's so unapologetic, which is what we need um, and what the kingdom needs, not only just men in general, but it's funny. I I think you're good because I don't think any PETA members listen to this. So we're good about the, <laughs> the, the horse being dead's okay. We can, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, go ahead and beat that horse, you know, but I get well, the, the horse metaphor. doesn't it's die. Awesome. We, the, yeah, the horse doesn't he comes die. Up, he comes up, back. It, it, yeah. He's yeah. fine at the end. <laughs> hey, we just led a, a PETA member to Jesus right there about that. We just taught him the resurrection. So oh, I belong to PETA. Come on. People eating tasty animals. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I, the evidence is right behind your left shoulder. Right? Oh, you know it. Hey, 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 
that is a live deer. He is posing. I've trained him to permanently stay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, he's, he's being tased right now as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Permanent tasing. Learn helplessness. <laughs> well, uh, I love it. And, and I, I may have needed to hear that, you know, uh, the whole, the dead horse thing and just kind of staying the staying power, the, the planting our feet, planting our flag on, if we're convicted as to what God, we've got conviction that he has given us this vision, then yeah, keep, you know, stand there, stand there and wait for him to show off. Cause he will. And, and yeah, go ahead. You got something to add to that? Well, I would just say the true joy in life, true joy for a man. I don't think this is true for women. I think for a woman, true joy comes when she can be secure in her environment. Yeah, The yeah. true joy comes from a man when he looks around and he goes, my environment is the hill I finally get to die on. That's it. When a man has a hill to die on, that's when that man is at his most alive, even though that's he's it. dying. And I think, I think for us, I mean, it's emotional to me because I'm like, man, if I could just get these young guys to go, what hill will I die on? I'm going to die for my future wife. Yeah. keeping my virginity. I'm going to die for my, you know, uh, freedom and not getting bondage to alcohol or drugs. You know, I'm going to die for these things that Jesus has called me to. And I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to be stubborn and unwilling to bend. Yeah. And when a man can plant his flag in the mountain and go and look around, look at all the foxholes, your bros and go, we right. might die here today, but you know what? At least we have a hill to die on. That's it. And, and they're together. And, and that's what I think guys struggle with. Like you mentioned it earlier and teenagers might struggle with this as well, which I don't have the secret sauce or the magic formula yeah. to, to let the light come on to them. The importance of the community that you talked about earlier, yeah. getting around yeah. a group of guys um, that are like-minded, obviously putting God at the center of all that. What, I guess give us one last before we go and we're going to get, uh, you're going to tell us where to find your, your resources, but give us one last parting shot for these teenagers that are struggling with, they go to church, right? Yep. It's all about entertainment at this age. Maybe like you, yeah. were a youth pastor, you know, you got to get that flair. You got to draw them in. You yeah, got to get them sure. to the trough, right. And then get out of the way and hope they God shows up, which he will. But after that, like, let's say you've got a Christian teenager. How do you get them? to take that step to pursue those relationships. So am I talking to dads now or teenagers to teenagers talking to teenagers now? <laughs> to me, if I'm talking to a teenager, a teenage boy, a young guy, 15, 14 to 18, I would say this, and this is, and this may be more powerful than finding a group to belong to. Yeah. It would be look around you, bro. Look at your top five bros. Those guys are you now or in the future. You are going to become those guys. Yeah. So if you really don't want to be that guy, you need to find new friends. So the hardest part for a teenager is not going to be finding a group. It's going to be losing the other one. Yeah. That's the gutsy move. So you got to go, if you want to live for Jesus and you look around, you're hanging a bunch of non-Christian guys that are partying, drinking, telling stories about, you know, first base, second base, and they're not even on the baseball team. Yeah. Then then what you need to do is you need to find another group of friends. I do that as an adult. Friends yeah. to me are utilitarian relationships where I sharpen them. They sharpen me. It's a mutually uh, uh, inclusive uh, relationship. Beneficial. If, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for ba bailing me out on that word. <laughs> and so if, uh, if I'm a teenage guy and I don't have guys in my life like that, uh, it is unequivocally time for you to grab your cajones the fat. 
and yeah. you need to find new friends period. And then once you, once you leave these guys, the new guys you gravitate, it'll happen naturally. Yeah. Once you have a standard that you're going to hang out with. Yeah. We got to, we got to convince this, this generation that what you said is, is spot on. You are the sum of those five. You are the yeah. average of those five. You will become that. Even if you may not be that now you will become that. So that was, that was exactly the advice I was that was great because that's practical. It's simple. They can get that. Now, whether they believe that from me and you, I don't know, but look at them, look at where there might be, where are they going to be in 10 years? And is that the, is that who you want to look like? Cause that's what, it, that's the road it's going down. And, and sometimes we learn hard lessons. They have to learn the hard way. I did. I, you know, that was my biggest probably downfall is that I had to just figure it out on my own and, and suffer. You know, why would I do that when I have people like you that I could have listened to and been like, okay, he's done it right. I'm going to go that way. Those are the answers to the test. So I never did. And so hopefully we have a generation that's going to listen um, to guys like you and, and guys like me. And that road's lonely. Like I tell oh, my kids sure. all growing yeah. up, I'm like, you, you understand that when you look around and you're the only one standing there, that might be a good thing. Like chances are that's a good thing because the crowd's over here doing something and you're, you're lonely, but look, the, what does it say? It's a narrow gate, right? It's a narrow gate to, to the heaven, to heaven. So man, Jim, it's been a, it's been a, a blessing to have you. I've, I love the insight. I'm glad we could finally make this work. And I, I wish we could keep going for hours cause you've got a ton of stuff, but instead you're going to tell us how to re, you find your resources and get your book. And maybe we'll get a little more taste of what Jim's perspective is. Yeah. Hey guys, you can, I mean, you're talking to teenagers right now. I'm not, I'm not on a, I'm on Twitter. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Snapchat. Well, it's we dads a, too. I think yeah, it's a lot so of dads. I would yeah. say Instagram is a great way to get a hold of me. We've got a forum with over 12,000 guys on Facebook interacting regularly. And the guys can subscribe to my podcast, men in the arena podcast. If they just type in men in the arena, uh, they'll find us anywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you had that concept before Tom Brady for those teenagers. Now, you know, the man in the arena, it's men in the arena. And I know you didn't coin that. I know you didn't start that, but, but still you had it before Tom Brady and that's all that matters. Hey, I got a story. If you want to hear a Tom Brady yeah, yeah, story, yeah, yeah. go ahead. We call it the Tom Brady miracle. This is how God takes care of us. <laughs> when the man in the arena podcast came out, we had this massive spike in our podcast. Massive. Sure. And we're like, we're like, well, the only way we can explain this is they went to find men in the arena podcast and found man in the arena. The funny pipe is that spike has never gone down. So we were just ranked so number one. It wasn't one. a fluke. It wasn't so we're fluke. the number one, <laughs> we're the number one ranked podcast for Christian men on Spotify. And I think part of it is people went, they found our podcast on accident and went, wow, I'm going to keep coming. So it's That's been it. really fun. The Tom Brady miracle, we call it. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, being a baseball guy, you get you get jammed and you hit a blooper over the second baseman. It's a base hit. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how it got there. It's a base hit. So it doesn't matter how they found you, but they stayed there, and and that was all that yep. mattered, right? God knew how to how to bait them in. <laughs> well, hey, if you get jammed and you can hit a blooper over the second baseman's head, that means you waited. You, you went it. with the pitch. And uh, man, that's, you know, most guys would knock that ball out of the left side of the field and get out of bounds or third baseman. So, hey, God bless that guy. He did a good job getting around on that ball. (laughs) That's right, man. Well, hey, uh, congrats on all the success. Congrats on your anniversary. And you absolutely can steal that. Uh, And I can't wait to see that. Uh, But, you know, let's stay connected and and audience. Hey, uh, you know where to find him now. There's no excuses. 
you have to go and join his Facebook group, go buy his book. The um, Tell us the name of the most recent one. The most recent book that just came out last week is called Guts and Manhood, The Four Irrefutable Attributes of Courage. It is a orange cover with yeah. a picture of Omaha Beach on D-Day. Got it. Got it. I got to eat a copy. All right, audience. With that, he's been Jim Ramos. We've been last in line. Be blessed. Be blessed.